Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast because he is definitely one of those guys that predicted Georgia and TCU in the national championship before the season started. So, Mike, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. How are you doing this afternoon? Hey, John, I appreciate the kind words, but I know you're kidding. But in case anybody does it, no chance. No <laughs> chance I saw TCU in this game. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. Georgia definitely is one that a lot of people pick. So let's just look at that. The, the title game itself, uh, we know the semifinals were played. Great semifinal games, but both the Big Ten teams got left out, which I'm sure you were really sad to see. But uh, now looking at the matchup of Georgia and TCU, just what do you make of this? Does TCU have a legitimate shot? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I kind of hope they do just for – entertainment purposes. I mean, I didn't think they had a shot against Michigan, so they proved me wrong there. But Michigan clearly got out of uh, their identity. I mean, trick plays on the goal line, I thought that was ridiculous. A couple of pick sixes. Anytime you have two pick sixes in a game and you and you still nearly lose it, like TCU did against Michigan, I don't think that bodes well going up against mighty Georgia. And I even think Georgia, you can make the case play to C, maybe a B-minus game against Ohio State yet they still found a way to win. Uh, so, I, I mean, TCU's kind of been in this position all season long, right? They've been doubted, and they've had to come from behind time and time again. So they'll be in a familiar position on Monday night, and, and maybe that experience will help them going up against uh, Georgia. Both games were, were great games. Were you more surprised by the outcome of Georgia and Ohio State as far as how they got to that outcome? Uh, no, I mean, I – I kind of thought that uh, Georgia would kill them, but at the end of the day, it's Georgia. I mean, they they are the new, you know, Goliath in the in the sport. So it, it's just one of those teams, kind of like Alabama used to be in the in the years where you just you don't envision them going down, and and until the the clock hits zero, you can't count them out. And that's what Georgia is now. And the scary part is they're doing it with. I know Stetson Bennett's been clutch, but just imagine if they had Bryce Young, if they had Hendon Hooker, if, even if they had K.J. Jefferson at quarterback, I think they'd be even scarier than what they are because Stetson Bennett, for as clutch as he is, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just watch him play time and time again, and there's there's a lot left to be desired, in my opinion. Well, Georgia's going to have an opportunity to do something that, even though people talk about parity or lack thereof in college football, there haven't been a lot of back-to-back national champions. In fact, just in the game of college football, you have to go back and, and look at it. It's just been a very tough thing to win one national championship. So what do you think that says? Uh, I know you said they're the big new Goliath in college football, but for Georgia to have a chance and possibly win back-to-back championships, is, what does that say about the program and also about uh, the way that Kirby Smart has been able to retool and reload his team after losing so many guys last year too? Well, they've always been there, John. It's just been for about 20 years that they screw up at the wrong time. I mean, time and time again, they're getting a heart broke. So in that aspect, it's nice for those fans that have went through all that suffering to finally get some winning. But we shouldn't be surprised because they've recruited as well, if not better, than Alabama. They've been doing it for years. Kirby, I think, is even a better recruiter than Nick Saban now, which is crazy to say because Nick Saban is the best of all time. But, I mean, just every – February, every December, you know, they move the, the signing period along. They're always number two, number three, number one. They're always in that mix. So this shouldn't really surprise anybody. And I think 
up until recently, the SEC East has been fairly down. They, they haven't lost that East game in two or three seasons, it, it feels like. Uh, it, they're rarely challenged until they face uh, an LSU or an Alabama. So, speaking of Stetson Bennett and him coming through in the end, and he's been clutch pretty much over the past two seasons, Kirby Smart did say at the end of that game, though, that he needs to play better, and maybe that was for motivational purposes and get the team going, but what is it that Stetson Bennett needs to do to play better in this game, in this championship game? Well, my God, Joe, I mean, he had a perfect passer rating, two touchdowns. No one has ever, in college football playoff history, thrown for more fourth-quarter yards than Stetson did in that ball game. So if he's got to play better than that, I mean, good Lord. Uh, I think I think that's just Kirby just being, you know, he's kind of, uh, he's a perfectionist. And, and I think that's part of why Georgia is so elite because it, it comes from the top down. Uh, but, I mean, he did make some mistakes in that ball game, but what did they score, 40-something points against Ohio State, which I know they don't have the best defense, but I'm sure they've got a handful of guys that are going to be playing in the NFL before long. So I think that's more coach speak than anything because I think TCU, for as good as they played this year, I don't think they're going to be, uh, particularly on, on their defensive side of the ball, I don't think they're going to be able to do uh, slow down Georgia at all in this game. Honestly, Mike, that's kind of more so where I was impressed is TCU's defense because not seeing a lot of them this year, but just knowing how offensively they have been in these battles and they've gotten it done in the end, seeing their defense flying around, that was kind of impressive from that game. Well, yeah, but again, it goes back to what did Michigan do on the goal line? They're they're running silly special for some reason. While their DNA is pound you to death, they – they're oversized compared to TCU's defense. Just, just gut them up the middle, and, and I think they would have clobbered. They did it the first drive of the game, and then they went away from it. I, they had, like I said, two pick sixes. So to, to your point, I mean, the defense was certainly making plays. I don't want to completely take away from TCU in that ball game, but I don't know. I mean, Georgia's one thing. We saw Georgia play uh, Michigan last season, and, and it was, I mean, it was <laughs> just a landslide for Georgia and Georgia. I don't know if their defense is better, but I think their offense is certainly better than what it was last season. We're speaking with Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast here on Out of Bounds on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Outline. Uh, I know that the, obviously a lot of people are focused on that game, but there's been a lot of news going on in college football, particularly in the SEC. And we'll start with the news from Arkansas. Kendall Bryles, which there was a rumor that there was a connection there to the Mississippi State job as being the offensive coordinator. He tweets out, he's coming back. He's got KJ with him as well. Razorback fans are mixed on this. A lot of people are loving it. Some people don't like it. What do you make of the move of Kendall Browse coming back and what type of impact having him back on the sidelines for Arkansas you think he'll have on the offense next year? Yeah, I've, I've said it on Twitter. I'll say it here. Sam Pittman's already 1-0 against Zach Arnett, so I like that. Uh, I, again, I don't get it. I think I've said this with you many times. I don't get the the frustration with Kendall Browse. I'm looking right now at uh, Arkansas's offensive and defensive analytics here they they were number 55 in the in the country in scoring efficiency that's not great i get it but their defense was 89 and what's more important you got to look at not only where you finished but the strength of schedule that you're going up against the defenses that arkansas was going up against 22nd scoring defense efficiency in the country so you're sitting here saying 55th that's not great i get it but at the same time, K.J. Jefferson missed a couple games. He was banged up for Liberty. And at the end of the day, the way you got to evaluate these coaches 
is you got to look at Arkansas's roster and you got to look at the rosters that they're going up against in the SEC West. And Arkansas, right now, you know, this may not be popular to, to, to say, but they've probably got the sixth, maybe the fifth best roster in that division. So when you are putting up good numbers against that schedule with what you have to work with, that's how you uh, get evaluated as a good play caller, in my opinion. Arkansas gets Kendall Bryles the return as offensive coordinator. A&M made a splash <laughs> higher. They get Bobby Petrino as their offensive coordinator. What does this do for A&M? I think it makes them a contender in the SEC, which is what we got to do every year, right? We got to hype up A&M and, and all their recruits that are going to transfer in a year, and, and now they're bringing in a, a quality play caller. But this is a big move. Jimbo Fisher has never in his coaching career hired an offensive play caller to come in and call plays. He's, he's had coordinators before, but they've just been entitled only. And they don't, I mean, they're basically fall guys for his failures. Bobby Petrino, we all know he's a, a questionable character, to put it kindly. But uh, when he's locked in, you know, he'll wear thin on you. I, I think if he's, if he's there two or three years down the road, it'll probably implode on him. But if he's just there for a season or two, I think this is a grand slam. This is exactly what Texas A&M needs. They got all the talent in the world. They just need a coach to, to get it out of them. And, and Jimbo, certainly, you want to talk about their numbers, their, their offensive efficiency was in the 100. So, I mean, they've been god-awful. I think this is a slam dunk. And, and even though Petrino, he didn't have a great season at Missouri State, we saw when he, when he got locked in in Fayetteville, I mean, I thought he put on a show. Yeah, and here's another thing, too, about the Petrino, which we don't know until it actually happens, but I guess the biggest question that I would have, you mentioned uh, Jimbo Fisher never having, hiring an offensive coordinator. Bobby Petrino hasn't been an offensive coordinator since 2003. I mean, everywhere he's been since that point, he has been a head coach where the buck stops with him. He has the final say in everything. So as fascinating it is for Jimbo to hire an offensive coordinator, I think it's equally as fascinating for Petrino where he hasn't been in this position in 20 years, how is he going to accept not being in full control of the team? Well, I think it cuts both ways, John, because, I mean, you, you watch A&M on Saturday. What do you see? You see Jimbo with his dang uh, Cheesecake Factory menu up there trying to call these plays. He's having to deal with timeouts. He's having to deal with substitutions. I mean, it's, it's, I think and that's before we talk NIL, recruiting, and, and all aspects of a program seems like half his team got suspended at one point or another. So the locker room is clearly an issue in College Station. I think Jimbo needed to, to see those play-calling duties to kind of just focus on other things. And the, I think you take that off Bobby Petrino's plate, you just ask him to develop quarterbacks, which he's done time and time again, and call the plays on offense. Maybe you know he's getting up there in eight. He probably don't want to deal with all the rest that goes with, with running a college football program. And, and certainly he, he didn't want to do it at Louisville the last couple of years. That's why they went and, and fired him in the middle of the season. So I think for both these guys, it, it could really help uh, let them focus on what they need to focus on. Coach's contracts, Shane Beamer just got a new contract. He's making six and a half mil a year. Hugh Freeze comes into the conference making the same amount, six and a half a year. And then that puts – Sam Pittman, Josh Heupel making five mil a year near the bottom of the conference. These contracts and and uh, the money that's tied to it, they just keep going up. And and Shane Beamer getting almost a four million dollar raise. So, what do you think about Shane Beamer's contract? Uh, I mean, it's just the cost of doing business in the SEC. 
I, I don't know if you saw this, Joe, and I, and I don't think there was any legitimacy to it, but there was people out there saying, well, Jim Harbaugh, he goes, if he goes to the NFL, Michigan's going to look at Shane Beamer. And wouldn't you know it, the next day, Shane Beamer, he's got a contract extension. So, this is, I mean, this is just the cost of doing business. He's, he's done a solid job, I think, for South Carolina. They're not where they want to be, clearly. But paying him middle of the road, I think that's fair. And when you look at these figures and you look at how much these coordinators are making and you just see all the money going around, this is why I don't care that these players are getting paid. And I don't care that there's NIL going around and people saying it's division and it's, and it's tearing apart the locker rooms and all this. Because these coaches will still leave on a, in a drop of a hat if they get a dollar more uh, in another conference, in another league, in another school. So, um, I, I mean, I, these guys, if they do a good job, they're underpaid, in my opinion. But we've seen far too many of them. They, they got these giant buyouts. That's maybe where I got an issue. But, again, that's kind of the cost of doing business. Well, speaking of coaches, uh, this is just kind of more of a, a forecasting a little bit too. But heading into next season, we kind of know what the coaching situation looks like for all these teams. Who would you say is on the biggest hot seat in the SEC or has the most pressure on them in the SEC? Because you still have a lot of new coaches. You still have a lot of uh, young, you know, newer, newer coaches, I should say, that are still wait and see. But as far as just in the SEC next year, who do you think there's the most pressure on to win and win right now? I mean, I hate to say it, but probably Sam Pittman. But, again, it's not like he's making – he's at the bottom of the SEC now, so, and he just got a contract extension. So it's tough to, to put him there, but I think he could – you know, again, I don't think – I think any diehard Razorback fan is disappointed by what this season was. And I was hyping him up more than anybody. But because you lose a couple one-loss – one-score games, I don't think you run someone off. But uh, all the players hitting the portal, that's been troublesome. So – you know, a little bit of a, a crossroads, I think, for Sam Pittman. I'm, again, I'm not saying he needs to be fired or anything like that. I think the same thing for Drinkwitz. And he just got in a contract extension a, a couple of months ago. I don't know where that came from. I don't think that was warranted or, or necessary because no one was going to try to steal Eli away from Missouri. And then the other one, I hate to even say a hot seat because he just got there a year ago, but Billy Napier, um, I mean, I, he's doing a good job in recruiting, but – it was essentially a year zero for the Gators. They got nothing at a year one. He has got to kind of show something. And next season they go to Utah, and they only got three SEC home games. So tough, tough slate for Billy Napier. They, they got to show something in Gainesville. Way too early, really, to be talking about next season. Hmm. But what does this kind of leave Arkansas? Because we know what Bama is, and then you would expect good things from LSU, A&M, maybe Auburn with Hugh Freeze in the mix. Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin. What does this leave Arkansas? That's interesting. I, you know, it kind of remains to be seen because, uh, you know, Barry Odom was just such an instrumental part of the program, and I realized the defense took a massive nosedive this season. A lot of that had to do with the injuries in the secondary and, and uh, key secondary players transferring to LSU. But, man, if he, if he hits a grand slam with uh, – Williams, that defensive coordinator, I think they're going to be fine. If he, you know, if it's a complete dud and he's terrible, which I, I don't think he is, but I don't think there's enough to really say one way or another. Uh, I think Arkansas is going to be in trouble. But again, they've got one of, if not the best quarterback in the SEC in KJ Jefferson. So you can't really have the best quarterback either and, and come out here and win five, six games, which again, I'm not saying they're going to do, but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, that's a tough, tough one to answer. 
Well, then also on top of that, again, since we're talking about, uh, you know, later down the road, it's also one of those things, too, I feel like, at least with Arkansas, that the schedule does get easier next year. It's not going to be easy, but you're talking about a non-conference schedule that's definitely easier than what they had this past year. And instead of uh, they get South Carolina, they beat them at home this past year. I understand that. But then they go to Florida as their East opponent, which, you know, there's nothing really about Florida necessarily at this point in time that makes you really nervous about them. So I just feel like this could be a step in the right direction for Arkansas, mainly just because it feels like the schedule is a little bit easier, too. No doubt. And trust me, I'll have all summer to hype up the dogs again. I'll try not to go overboard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's certainly reason for optimism. And, and something I know you said time and time again, John, I mean, we look at the portal right now and we get sick over players leaving, but there's players incoming, too. And last time I checked, I don't know if there's a, a program in the SEC that does a better job of evaluating and bringing in transfers than Arkansas. They brought in a number of guys that are now off to the NFL and had career seasons, that would be my selling point if I'm Arkansas as, uh, you know, this is a big weekend for transfers. There's not a better place right now, particularly on defense, where you can come in, play right away, and potentially get to the next level. Well, Mike, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. Enjoy the final game of the college football slate when the national championship, of course, being played on Monday. We appreciate you and appreciate you coming on with us all football season long. And I know we'll be catching up with you later down the road, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.